Das has to do with the so-called fire triangle, heat, oxygen, and fuel. There's not a, a culture of knowing how to um, use fire or behave or be more careful. Humans are the number one source of ignitions. Climate change creates the proper conditions, but we need to take into account the human factors. Hello and welcome back to Reactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Eva Chiori, and this week we're looking into the wildfires in Europe. What are the factors? What can we do better? And how can an ecosystem recover after a devastating wildfire? Europe was once again battling scorching temperatures this summer, with wildfires blazing across the continent from Portugal to Greece. The latter is still battling with the largest wildfire in the EU since the year 2000, when the European Forest Fire Information System began recording data. The damage on the ecosystem and the natural resources in the entire continent has been devastating, with the fire destroying everything on its path particularly in northern Greece, which was the worst hit by wildfires this summer. The fire has burned more than 810 square kilometers of land, an area bigger than New York City. But the fire isn't only gulping the forests and the animals living in them. The country has counted at least 21 victims since August 19th. At least 18 of the dead were migrants and refugees whose bodies were found in a region that is often used as an entry point from neighboring country, which sparked a huge discourse about migration in the country. But this is a topic for another episode. And the Mediterranean seems to be a region that is boiling, influencing the general increase of Earth's temperatures. The summer that we have experienced uh, this year uh, did have uh, many uh, extreme weather conditions. Uh, we had flooding in so- Slovenia, we had heat waves in Spain, Greece, Portugal, Italy, and then following uh, wildfires, we had landslides in Norway and some flooding also in, in Sweden. Christiana Fotiadou is expert on climate change, vulnerability and adaptation at the European Environment Agency. We can definitely say uh, that such conditions are linked in the long Helm, uh, with human-induced uh, climate change. Now, uh, climate change increases the possibility of recurrence and severity of such events when we are talking about heat waves, when we are talking about uh, drought conditions. And it's good to remind ourselves that uh, since uh, last winter, winter 2022, we had a prolonged drought in Europe, which eventually led to uh, the heat wave conditions we were experiencing uh, this year, uh, in especially in Southern Europe. These extreme conditions are linked to climate change, and we can definitely say that climate change provides the proper weather climate conditions for wildfires uh, to be developed, but also to have a larger impact on the, on the areas that they are occurring. Greenhouse gas emissions from human activities have heated the planet by about 1.2 degrees Celsius since pre-industrial times. This warmer baseline means that higher temperatures can be reached during extreme heat events, which can lead to destructive wildfires. So what causes the wildfires? Well, in Europe, we have a combination of different factors converging, um, which is, uh, you know, probably why uh, it's become very noticeable in recent years in terms of news headlines, in terms of area affected, people affected. 
Lyndon Pronto is senior fire management expert at the European Forest Institute and ex-firefighter. Um, essentially, Europe has uh, has on the one hand a we're experiencing climate change. We're experiencing regions that are becoming hotter and drier and windier um, for more extended periods of time, more days out of the year. Um, and so we're noticing that we have fires affecting these regions that are maybe not so used to, um, you know, regular fire affecting these regions, like in Germany, for instance. This has to do with the so-called fire triangle. Zira Shebashvari is an environmental scientist focusing on disaster risk reduction, mainly with the help of ecosystems and the environment itself. Um, the triangle is heat, oxygen and fuel. The key word is fuel, which refers to biomass that is extremely inflammable and helps not only igniting the fire, but also allowing it to spread faster. This biomass has accumulated for decades and um, becomes very explosive under very dry conditions and especially with high winds. And the question is, why specifically the Mediterranean? What causes this explosive climate in the area that ends up battling wildfires each summer? Due to climate change, we, had a, we have a lot of increasing heat in the Mediterranean um, area, um, so that um, we more often see uh, these really hot temperatures. Um, we have a, a lot of lot of fuel there. That means that a lot of dry biomass, uh, which can burn and which can um, um, sustain fires. And um, if it comes to oxygen, this has to do with wind and um, how much um, oxygen is uh, carried to the to the burning areas uh, by wind. So this triangle uh, makes, so to say, the area uh, unique and um, so much at risk to wildfires. In the Mediterranean, for instance, the compounding effects of, of long-term changes that are catching up with us. And in the Mediterranean countries, for instance, these were areas that were traditionally very intensively managed, the landscape that is, uh, with grazing, with farming. And it this basically fragmented the landscape over decades, over centuries, in a way that if and when fires started, they eventually ran out of fuel. They did not get so huge and destructive as we are seeing them today. And as we have demographic changes, as people have moved away from livelihoods dependent on the landscape and moving more towards cities, we have, on the one hand, these land abandonment, uh, as we call it, uh, where these landscapes have fallen out of use and become more densely overgrown, less fragmented, and on the other hand, we also have a trend of more people using the landscape for leisure activities. So we have people then, for instance, exiting the urban areas on the weekend or for vacation and coming into these areas, which are now very overgrown, where there's not a, a culture of knowing how to um, use fire or behave or be more careful. The human factor is on top of the list of factors that are causing wildfires. But Lyndon, you're an ex-firefighter and you know best how fire behaves. How does fire get out of control? Fires that we see in the Mediterranean, they spread extremely rapidly under these high winds. And of course, this is something that, that you know firefighters can't do much against and neither can airplanes or helicopters. Uh, in fact, in 
in instances where we have these really severe events, usually aircraft is actually not able to fly when the winds are a certain speed or strength. So um, we're even limited more so when we would need as much help as possible. That said, if it's extremely hot and windy, um, you know, there's not too much effectiveness in dropping water out of the sky because it basically evaporates. The issue of wildfires has been a prominent one for many countries, but what strategies are in place? What works best? So this really depends on which country and region uh, we talk about. Of course, it all uh, has so many different influencing factors in terms of which strategies. On the one hand, we have uh, countries which may be centrally organized, um, let's say the Netherlands, for instance, where you have you know, one person who um, can have a significant say in terms of how to create a, a strategy at country level, how to invest resources, and how um, you know to set the priorities in terms of prevention and preparedness, and eventually, of course, response. Um, and it, and then if you have countries like Germany or Spain, uh, which are broken down into you know many different states or autonomous regions, uh, decision making is then already a, a challenge. Or if you have, you know, take Greece, um, this, there are so many different entities that are responsible. If, if there is a fire, uh, there are over 20 different uh, agencies and, and ministries and um, people that eventually become involved. Now, they've gotten a little bit better after the 2018 Attica fires and, and what they've learned and how they've restructured and created the you know, Ministry for Ch- Climate Change and Civil Protection. So there are you know, lessons that are learned in, in Portugal. Portugal is often um, seen as a, as a very good example of how to learn from a terrible tragedy, in this case in, in 2017. And they created uh, a GIF and this agency, which really goes about fire management from a holistic standpoint from everything from social engagement, basically engaging the sources, the people, so engage the people, the communities, uh, to try and reduce ignitions, then to go about the landscape itself, uh, the fuels, the, the different um, you know projects in terms of reducing biomass, and all the way out to the response and, and then the uh, post-fire and recovery. So this is an example where you have, on the one hand, a an agency that is now responsible for addressing this in a very holistic manner. Now, one of the main challenges that we have and that we're being confronted with, which renders any strategy, um, you know, very, um, I wouldn't say useless, but, you know, it, it makes it a big challenge when, for instance, very few countries across Europe actually have specifically trained wildland firefighters. So in the response phase, we have Firefighters, which are you know traditionally all risk urban firefighters um, responding to uh, environmental disaster, which requires a different level of training. Um, for instance, something that commonly is a problem is that there's there's not an awareness or specific training for understanding weather, and weather is the the primary influencer of fire behavior. You know, you have the fuel, uh, which obviously makes it so the fire can burn and and can be explosive. You have the topography, which influences the fire behavior. Fire burns faster uphill. 
um, or you know the fire effects can be compounded in narrow valleys, for instance. But weather, so wind, temperature, relative humidity, these are all things which are constantly in flux, and this will very strongly influence fire behavior. And when we are not prepared in terms of response and having uh, our firefighters properly equipped and especially trained to deal with wildland fire, it becomes uh, more dangerous. It becomes um, more challenging in terms of having a overall strategic goal and how to contain the fire. And when we have very rapidly spreading fires, of course, the first focus is protecting life and property. And, and there's less uh, strategy really in terms of how to actually contain the fire itself. It's more about protecting people. And Lyndon, you're mentioning the necessity for trained firefighters. But the Southern European countries don't have the necessary infrastructure or the numbers uh, needed to combat the fires. And they rely a lot on voluntary action. From your firefighter experience, is that safe? It really depends. I, I think people in, in many of these environments, they, this is not probably not the first time they've ever had to fill up a bucket and, and try and douse flames. Of course, the more sensitized people are to a challenge and, and the more experience, we call them, you know, from, from my firefighting days, we call these mental slides. Mental slides means that when you've seen something and experienced something, that goes somewhere in your memory and, and it's kind of like a, a filing system. And when you have these mental slides, oh, I remember I remember when we had to do that. I remember when the fire was burning quickly up the hill. I remember when we had to protect the house. People in these very fire-prone environments have have been able to gather some of these mental slides and they've been able to learn from experience. And so I would say in some contexts, people helping and volunteering is is of course, you know, it's it's not to for most authorities to say you can or can't do something right now because these are people that are fighting tooth and nail for their livelihoods, for their homes, for their livestock. Um, so of, of course they're going to be jumping in and helping. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I would decline to judge whether it's a constructive or productive, uh, thing when people are trying to, trying to save themselves and their, and their neighbors. Um, but of course it, the more people, the more, more challenges, um, for authorities to, in, in Europe, we don't have a, an evacuation system, like for instance, in the United States or, you know, even Australia, which doesn't mean evacuate, it also could mean shelter in place. Um, so we have, um, it's very different in terms of how different countries or communities go about a response. It's not like in the United States where, you know, officers come through, tell everybody to get out. You're basically forced to get out um, and leave the area so that firefighters can come in and, and do their job. We don't really have such a system in Europe. That said, I think that we need to develop more uh, clarity and communication and community engagement and strategies for what to do in a situation like that. I think that we have room for improvement and communicating risk and communicating how to behave in such a scenario, especially countries that are being confronted with this kind of in a new way. Uh, for instance, in, in fires in, in Germany, you know, even this year, people are like, what do I do? What do I take with me? And, and there was just, of course, you could easily Google evacuation checklist or something like that and know, you know, from countries that have, have such checklists, know what to take with you. Um, but yeah, I think um, there are situations where it is, it makes sense to evacuate. 
and there are situations where it makes sense to stay and defend and or shelter in place. And of the many people that died, for instance, in in Greece uh, some years ago and in Portugal, these were people mostly died in their cars while they were trying to evacuate. Um, and their homes, in fact, did not burn. So many people, if they had stayed home, um, they very likely would have survived the fire. But being stuck in a car and getting burned over that way was, of course, fatal. Entire forests have been wiped out in countries like Greece, Portugal and Italy. And with them, the ecosystems were destroyed as well. What impact do the wildfires have on ecosystems? The wildfire will uh, impact uh, the tree regionization, so how uh, how we uh, recreate the tree itself will have uh, an impact. Uh, then the primary impact is the soil erosion itself that will cause uh, problems in the future. Then we need to take also uh, flooding measures uh, afterwards. And another problem is also uh, the water quality. So uh, we see that uh, following a wildfire, um, the capacity of the soil to absorb water uh, is significantly diminishes. So uh, the watershed basically uh, contains a large number of pollutants that will eventually uh, will remain for a number of years in the in the watershed itself and will reduce the water quality of the communities. So it has a both impact on on the environment and 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 the society itself. We have also loss of vegetation itself, which it's is the first uh, uh, impact of the um, of the wild uh, wildfire uh, it creates erosion uh, it decreases the the nutrient availability and that makes uh, makes it problematic for the regeneration of, of of the area itself but it also could create uh, a risk for future diseases and uh, pest infestations and then, of course, we have the air quality issue. Um, during the wildfire, uh, the wildfires releases uh, carbon dioxide and their emissions can prove to be significantly high uh, and can be and are linked uh, to health issues um, uh, and respiratory issues uh, specifically. In what ways can the soil, the ecosystems and the biodiversity in those areas recover? And how long does it take for forests to be restored? I do not have kind of one number, but uh, um, the healthy way would be uh, to, to not to directly reforest it, but rather let the more natural ecosystem to regenerate. Um, this means that uh, species would uh, come which are actually... Uh, are able to um, re-sprout um, after a fire. Um, those are usually the more um, fire-adapted, more um, natural-adapted um, uh, uh, species. And, of course, this, this takes uh, a bit more time than a replantation. Um, but it's, it's worth it because um, the plants which are regrowing are actually able to deal uh, with the conditions Another option uh, to look into it is to uh, replant um, natural uh, species which are um, known to, to the Mediterranean. Uh, one of the issues we have here is that um, we would need seed banks and also uh, tree uh, uh, nurseries to actually um, have this uh, species available in a 
amount needed uh, for reforestation. So some of the oak, oak uh, species, for example. Uh, but this can be planned out and um, supported uh, financially um, if we would have a long-term vision um, how we would like to um, use these rural areas in a more fire-sensitive way. When a fire burns, usually in most countries, there are policies for immediately reforesting. So it doesn't have to be a fire, but essentially when forest, when so-called productive forest has been destroyed, uh, it has been basically cemented in our policies and our in our in our approaches to immediately replant because we want to re- recover the economic value of that space and and continue to obtain economic value in the future. And I think that is uh, something that we're starting to realize is, is maybe a mistake in our rapidly changing climate. And something that's that's very important then is after an area burns is to see what happens and not to in the f- first year always replant everything. You know, we were recently in, in Croatia and they had changed their legislation some years ago to not replant immediately, but to wait um, two to three years and see what kind of forest started to come back. And if after five years, the forest did not recover, then, you know, it should be replanted. And this approach of allowing for a few years to see what kind of forest comes back, actually, it was astonishing to see the biodiversity of the forest that naturally recovered. And so I think we need much more natural recovery Humans are heavily impacted by wildfires. Besides the health-related threats, humans see their livelihoods being engulfed by fires, increasing in this way the insecurity and the sense of danger. The impacts are various, you know, um, health impacts, uh, but uh, also loss of uh, life and and livelihood and also a loss of sense of um, security. Um, So... Um, this this trust, uh, my house is safe. Um, you can you can easily uh, lose this feeling. There's also an added uh, risk of uh, not getting any more insurance. Uh, for example, if uh, uh, your house is an area which is uh, impacted uh, multiple times by by forest fires. Um, and there are many ways to, to uh, manage these risks. Um, one of them is really uh, to better manage this uh, human um, um, forest interface. So try to create these buffer so- uh, zones um, of inflammable uh, land uses, so to say, uh, which, which help that actually the fire doesn't reach uh, villages. Um, we can uh, also rethink how much we are investing actually into fire prevention and fire suppression. So the figures are at the moment like we are spending around 16 times more money into fire suppression. So dealing with the fire once this already there um, and only one sixteenth is going into prevention. And um, I think this is something we have to radically change. Um, otherwise, we will always just run behind um, the fire and we will be discussing buying more planes and, and trying to, to control the fire when it is already there. So that's uh, not the way um, to go. We will lose that battle. What measures could countries like Greece, Spain, Portugal and others take to prevent or control wildfires? How can we protect ecosystems more effectively? What can we do better? 
there is a lot which can be done in terms of uh, fuel management and control, so controlling the biomass and reducing the burnable uh, biomass. Um, this uh, has to be tackled on very, very different um, levels. So, um, for example, if you are talking about plantations, uh, there's a lot of pine plantations around the Mediterranean. And uh, um, pine is, is native uh, to the area, but um, and the problem is that these plantations are, the stems are too close by each other. And um, a lot of dry biomass is accumulating under the pine trees, um, which uh, is really inflammable so that when a fire starts intentionally or uh, uh, sometimes also um, via arson, um, it's, it's starting and you have a lot of um, burning uh, biomass. Um, um, this uh, could be um, improved if um, we would use, instead of these large monocultures, um, rather the more traditional, um, um, more open woody areas uh, like oak trees, um, but um, not just um, uh, an oak forest, but uh, it's uh, it's a patchy way um, how it used to be. So oaks and uh, open areas uh, which uh, build a mosaic landscape, um, which is very good actually for fire prevention. Um, if you are talking about uh, shrubs, um, they need to be also controlled and um, we need to take care that around our villages, uh, cities, we kind of recreate um, a, a fire barrier. So if you think how um, villages used to be in the past, around the villages you had um, um, pastures or, um, or agricultural land, and that's uh, created a, a fire barrier. But um, since um, much less um, land is used for um, agriculture nowadays, um, and it's much more often that we create this uh, interface between um, the villages and um, this very high uh, fire um, risk um, forest areas like, like pine forests, plant plantations. Thank you very much. I am Evikiori, and this was your Reactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit Reactive to stay on top of the latest news. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by myself, and I want to thank our executive producer, Malte Kettleson. Thank you for tuning in, and until next week.